there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! The text that we're going to be in this morning is Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to be reading four verses, 35 through 38. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray with me. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we know that scripture tells us that you are the father of compassion and you are the God of all comfort. And God, the scripture tells us that you comfort us in our troubles and that we in turn are to comfort those around us from the comfort we received from you. That would be my prayer, Father, today. As we look at the crowds and we see people who are lost and disoriented and helpless and, and hopeless and, and stuck in their sins, that we would look at the crowd and not be disgusted but we would be moved like Jesus, that our hearts would be filled with compassion. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're, uh, we're beginning this new series called The Heart of the Savior. Uh, and uh, what we want to do is we really want to peer down into the heart of Jesus to see what drove him, what moved him, what motivated him. And when you do that, you'll find at the very core in the heart of Jesus, compassion. Jesus is compassion. And so this entire sermon series for eight weeks, it's going to focus on the compassion of Jesus Christ. And so the title of today's message is Be Like Jesus. I mean, because after all, that would be a great example to follow if we were to be like Jesus himself. In 1992, I was 21 years old and I was playing college basketball. And I, uh, I, I lived for the Lord a little bit in, in the early 90s, but I lived for basketball mostly. I was just loved it. And so <clears throat> Gatorade, uh, the, the sports drink company in 1992 decided to partner with a very prominent athlete. Uh, and, and they came up with this campaign that was just genius. It was a very catchy commercial, a very catchy campaign. Sales for Gatorade went off the charts uh, after this commercial aired from 1992 that I want to show you real quick. Sometimes I that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be.
so that was a very catchy commercial. And, and, the, and the commercial was saying, listen, if you drink Gatorade, you'll be like Mike. You'll be like Michael Jordan. Don't, who, who doesn't want to be like Michael Jordan? Well, I didn't. When I was 21 years old, I, he played for the University of North Carolina, which I despise, their, their basketball team. Then he played for the Chicago Bulls, and every, every year he beat all the teams that I liked. And so I did not care for Michael Jordan. But after watching that commercial, I wanted to be like Mike. I, I was like, okay, I'm in. I, I want to be like this guy. So listen to me. In a very real sense, in a very literal sense, the Bible tells us, encourages us, even commands us to be imitators of God. The Bible tells us very clearly that we are to walk, see, act, and talk like Jesus. If you have your Bibles, look real quick. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it simply says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So if you're a dad in here, and, and, and maybe you've, you've had a son, you might remember those early years, five, six, seven, eight, your son wanted to be like you, right? They wanted to dress like you. They liked the things that they wanted to talk like you. Um, they, they picked up your habits, both good and bad, right? Um, and then they turned to be like 14 or 15, and they want to be totally opposite of you for a while. That's just normal. But as, as a kid, like a, a little kid, just trying to imitate a parent, God says, listen, I'm your heavenly father. I, I, be imitators of me. I'm the father of all comfort and all compassion. Imitate me. Jesus says in John 13, verse 34, it's really a strange passage of scripture. We kind of just read over it, but he says, a new commandment I give you. Listen, I'm adding a new commandment here, he says, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love people. I want you to love one another. But here's the caveat. I want you to love them like I loved you. And I'm about to go on a hill and be hung on a cross and die and face the wrath of God on all sin for you. That's how much I love you. So I don't want you just to love other people with the strength that you can muster. I want you to love them with the love that I have. I want you to show them love. So in other words, I want you to follow my example. I want you to imitate me. I want you to be like me. I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians didn't call themselves Christians in the New Testament. They called themselves the people of the way. It wasn't until like Acts chapter 11 in Antioch when they were, uh, be, were started to be called Christians. Now here's the funny thing. Do you know what the word Christian means in the Greek? It means little Christ, almost like mini-me, like a little mini-me of Christ. And so the Christians didn't name themselves Christians. They called themselves the people of the way. The, the citizens of Antioch started to call them Christians, and it was supposed to be a derogatory term. They were like, and here's what they were saying. You're just like that Jesus guy they hung on a tree. You act just like him. You say the same words. You kind of live like him. You kind of take the high road. And so what was meant to be an insult uh, is, is now a blessing because we all wear the name Christians, little Christ. 
You see, these people had put into practice what they had learned from Jesus, and they were achieving the mission that was given to them and the mission that's still given to us, to know Jesus Christ and to make Jesus Christ known, to be like him, to love like he loved, to have hearts that are overflowing with compassion. So here's the big question. We're going to get to the answer right away. How can I be more like Jesus? How do I, how, how am I to be like Jesus? If I'm supposed to imitate him, what am I supposed to imitate? Well, the, the, the verses we just read, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, they give us answers. And I think there, there, there are four ways in the text that teach us to be like Jesus. The first way is simply this. Number one, we need to be able to see like Jesus. See like Jesus. We don't always see like Jesus, right? So there's this, this form of nearsightedness. Um, it's called myopia. And uh, a person that has myopia has a hard time seeing things unless they're like directly in front of them. Well, in severe or extreme cases of myopia, a person can't see unless like something is put like literally right in front of their nose. Um, I, I have a friend who has this and he's married and has a family, but he has a full-time personal assistant to drive him where he needs to go and to do those things because he can't literally see something unless it's right here in front of his eyes. Well, in those cases, a, a person that suffers from myopia, they're going to have a uh, their, their, their perspective is limited, right? Their world becomes extremely small, just right here in front of them. I think oftentimes church people suffer from what I call spiritual myopia. Spiritual myopia develops when we see things only from our limited perspective. When it becomes all about us, it's all about our world. How's this going to affect me, right? And so when this sets in, we think the world should revolve around us, and we literally develop a meocentric personality. We expect others to serve us. We expect uh, others to kowtow to our opinions. What can they do for us? How can they make my life better? How can I use them? And what happens, and don't miss this, it creates a consumer mentality where people that we come in contact with become like commodities for us, where we stop seeing them as human beings with a soul. We just see them as a way to get what we want, right? And we see this all the time. We see young ladies, young men will use you for your bodies. That they, they, they want what they want and then they want to move on. People will use you for your money. What can you do for me? How can you help me? People will use you for your influence. How, well, how is being friends with you, how is that going to help me? And so it just develops this consumer mentality where people become commodities. And literally, like I, th I think for, for us, especially the extreme narcissists, we just see everyone around us as these minor characters in the grand script of our lives that God has created to make the world a better place. It is all about me. We even try to make the gospel about us. You see, we need to get rid of the spiritual myopia and we need to see people like Jesus saw people. Look at verse 36. 
when he, Jesus, saw the crowd. Now listen, this is, not a, this is not a church crowd he's seeing here. This is full of sinners, full of people that are sick and dying and looking for answers. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. We'll get to that section in a second, but I want to get to what he sees. So when he saw the crowd, here's what he saw. People that were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus and his disciples saw the same approaching crowd, but history tells us that the disciples didn't see like Jesus always saw, right? Remember what happened when there were 5,000 people and Jesus was teaching and everybody was like hangry, they were angry, they were hungry, and what did the disciples say? Send them away. You, you've done all. You just send them away. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to feed them. Or uh, Jesus would be teaching and little kids would run up to Jesus. And I could see Peter be like, yeah, get out of here. Get out of here. Like Jesus is trying to teach you know, to the adults. Get these kids out of here. There were even times in scriptures when Jesus was teaching and the crowd didn't agree. And the d- disciples would say, Jesus, just call fire down from heaven and destroy them. There's not a lot of compassion in that, Right? So Jesus sees the crowd different. I don't normally have a towel, but it is. I am sweating. Jesus saw the crowds, uh, and here's how he describes them. These are his words. He uses two words in the Greek, harassed and helpless. Just a real quick word study here. The word harassed in the Greek, it means troubled or it means vexed. So it points to a load of problems that people carry with them every day. You can see it on their faces. Um, So the week before last, we did a staycation uh, where we just stayed home and then every day did like like little trips. Well, by the end of the week, we were kind of low on funds and low on ideas. And so it was Friday and we're like, well, what are you gonna do with these kids? And so I had the bright idea. I said, I know what we can do. Let's take them to the mall. The mall in Douglasville, let's take them to Arbor Place. It'd be great because, you know, we could go to the food court and, you know, every kid can pick what they want and, you know, we'll just sit and eat. And then we can shop at the mall. Now, what you probably don't know about me is this, is like if, like if I were to go to hell, it would probably be in a shopping mall. That would be my personal hell because I don't like shopping at all. And so we went into like two stores and I'm like, all right, I'm out. I'm going to go out here and sit on the bench with all the other old men, all the other gray-haired men, right? And so I'm sitting on the bench, and for like, you know, we would switch stores, but I would just find the bench. And so for like two hours, I had done something that I hadn't done for a long time. People watch. Just watching people. Watching how they walk, watching how they talk, watching how they interact, looking at their faces. Just, just kind of people watch. Man, there's some interesting people in this world, Right? Very, very interesting. But I noticed something, and I want to ask you a question. Like, when you, when's the last time you've gone out and you've just carefully looked into people's faces in public? I mean, you've just studied them. If you do, you're going to see what I saw at the mall. There's a lot of distressed, troubled, vexed people. They are harassed. They're troubled by our times, they're troubled by our economy, they're troubled by the problems of life, and most of them are troubled because they don't have Jesus Christ to get them through it. 
And so another word that Jesus uses besides harassed is the word helpless. Now, this is a beautiful word, especially in the Greek. In the Greek, it doesn't come across helpless. It comes across as this word, downcast, downcast, or cast down or thrown down. It points to the utterly helpless and forsaken condition of people that we see that are lost in their sins. And so, if you're not a church person, that's a, that's a phrase we throw around all the time, lost in sins. What that means is that these are people that are, are still living in the flesh. They're still captured by their sins. Uh, they, 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 they don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They are locked down. They are downcast. Philip Keller wrote this little book. I highly recommend it for you. Um, it's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And he describes in the book how sheep in, in, in Israel could get turned over on their backs, okay? And, and when they get turned over on their backs, they're not able to get up again. Um, such sheep, you know what they call these sheep? Downcast sheep or cast sheep. Because they flail with their legs in the air and they make these hideous noises and they cannot get back up without the aid of the shepherd. And so if they're left in this, uh, this condition behind us, they're vulnerable to the enemies and they will die within a few hours or, or uh, a day or two. When Jesus saw the crowd, he saw them as cast sheep. This is what he saw the helplessness and the harassed that these people are trying to get through this world. They've tried all the world's economies, all the things that the flesh had to offer them, and they're still on their backs flailing around because they have no shepherd. But Jesus is the good shepherd. So we engage our culture with the eyes of Jesus. We see like him. Secondly, we feel like Jesus feels. Look at verse 36 again. When he saw the crowds, that's what he saw, harassed and helpless people. But here's how he felt. He had compassion for them. Now, this wasn't like a, oh, gee, I hope they get their life back together. I feel so sorry for them, and then move on, right? Uh, when you're going to see this term, felt compassion, or Jesus moved with compassion throughout this, this entire series, every time we mention it, it's, it's using a, a in, the, in the Greek, it's using a noun that means inward parts. We would, in our vernacular, we would say, in, our, in my gut, right? And so I say this to say that, that this was a deep down inside, like adrenaline-moving butterflies sick to his stomach because he felt such compassion for these people. He didn't angrily blame them for the mess they were in. Rather, he wanted to fix them. He wanted to have compassion on them. They were sick. They were lost. They were seeking answers. They were sinners who needed a savior. He didn't say, well, you know, it's their own fault. They should have been better people. They should have read the Torah more. They should have listened to the Pharisees more. Forget about them. No, he had compassion for them. He felt for them. So that begs us to ask a question of ourselves. How much compassion do you feel for sinners? Now listen, even when they're misbehaving around you, how much compassion do we, do we have for them? 
Do we have any, or do we just shrug our shoulders and say, ah, well, you know, it's their own fault. You're going to get what you're looking for one day, buddy. It's going to catch up to you. Not my problem. I read about this very, very brave preacher who got up one Sunday morning uh, to preach his sermon, and he said, I'd like to make three points today. Number one, there are millions of people around the world who are going to die and go to hell. Number two, most of us sitting here today don't give a damn about it. And after a very long pause, as you can imagine, he said, and my third point is this, that you're more concerned that I, your preacher, use the word damn than you are about the millions of people who are damned to go to hell. How do we feel about the lost? And we're not talking of, I'm not even talking about some blank person that, that, that you don't know. I'm talking about people that you know and you love that don't have Jesus. How do we feel about the lost? Let me tell you how Jesus felt about it. He felt very strong about it. Because elsewhere in Scripture, he tells this story. He says this shepherd has a hundred sheep. And they're just grazing on a hill, and the shepherd goes to count to make sure all his sheep are okay. And what does he notice? There's only 99. And the shepherd realizes that somewhere out in the field, there is a sheep on its back. It is cast down. It is downcast. It is helpless. It is harassed. But he loves that sheep enough to leave the 99 alone and go and save that one lost sheep. That's the compassion. That's how Jesus felt. So we feel as Jesus feels. Number three, we walk like Jesus. Walk like Jesus. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease and every affliction. So we're told in Scripture Jesus is doing three things. He's teaching in the synagogue, so he's coming to churches and he's the guest speaker, he's proclaiming the gospel, the good news, and he's also healing people and performing these, these miracles, all right? The bottom line is what I, what I want to pull out of this is this, that he was ministering wherever, wherever he went. Look at the first part of that verse. He went throughout all the cities and all the villages, everywhere. It was a part of his being. Jesus was just Jesus. It wasn't an act. He didn't take a vacation from it, right? There was never a day that he got his 12 apostles and said, all right, boys, we're headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. And what happens in Jerusalem stays in Jerusalem. No, he didn't do that. He was always just Jesus in every town, every village, every city, every corner, every block, every street that Jesus set his foot on became a better place because of his love, kindness, and compassion. How much do we walk like Jesus? We say, wait a minute, preacher, I, I can't teach. First of all, you wouldn't have a job. Who, you, you're the teacher, so I, I can't teach, and, and I can't perform miracles. I, I, I can't heal. Ah, but you can proclaim the gospel, can't you? That's, that's what Jesus was doing. Proclaiming the, go the gospel just means the good news. And so we walk like Jesus by proclaiming the gospel through living it. And it's just simply remembering this. Everyone that you come in contact with in every crowd everywhere, no matter where it is, everyone has a soul. 
right? So some of you are teachers in here. And school started this week, and you're already like, oh, no. I've got that one student. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the year, right? Like this is going, and you are already counting the days till fall break. I, I don't know how to tell you how to deal with that student. But I would give you some advice. He or she has a soul. And they're acting that way for a certain reason. We have to remember that people have souls. Maybe you're a boss, and you've got several employees, and you're like, I can't get anyone to work. I can't get anyone to show up on time. I can't get anyone to do the job right and complain and this. You, you have to remember that every one of those people who work under you, work for you, they have lives, they, they have families, they have problems. They all have souls. Those of you who are high school or middle school students and you walk through the, the crowded hallways and, you've, and everybody's in cliques and you can only talk to these people because you dress like them and you look like them and, and people are coming and going, you just simply have to remember that everyone, whether they fit in or they don't, they all have souls. They're all eternal beings. This is a big one for me. You go out to the restaurant and the cook under, undercooks your hamburger steak. Remember that poor little waitress, that single mom has a soul. She's a person. She's a human being. Your steak's going to be okay. That's your one chance to show the love of Christ. To walk like Jesus is to remember that a sermon lived is a far greater testimony than a sermon preached. See like Jesus, feel like Jesus, walk like Jesus, and then finally, to be like Jesus, we pray like Jesus. Look at verse 38. Verse 37, he tells us, he says, man, there's millions of people who, who are, need to be harvested. In verse 38, he says, therefore, pray. Now, how does he ask us to pray? earnestly. I think we pray, but I don't know, I don't know when the last time it is that we've prayed earnestly, right? Like we've prayed and then six minutes later we're like, okay God, where's the answer? Jesus, Jesus prayed so earnestly that blood started coming out, like drops of blood came out of his skin. It's this, this earnest, heartfelt, from the gut, compassionate prayer. So he says, pray earnestly. What do we pray for? To the Lord of the harvest, to send out more laborers. Now, let, let, let me just be crystal clear here. In this prayer, you are not praying for yourself to work the harvest. It's already assumed that you're working the harvest. It's already assumed that you have counted the cost of following Christ. It's already assumed that you have said, yes, Jesus, I will pick up my cross daily and I will follow you. It's already assumed that we are working the harvest. In other words, that's not our part of evangelism, right? It's not our part. All right, we're going to pray for workers in the harvest, and then I'm going to sit here with my friend, and I'm going to watch all these people. You see all those people out there working like little ants? I prayed them into ministry. I prayed earnestly for the harvest. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, listen, you, we should already be doing these things, but we're not enough. There are millions, if not billions of people who don't know Jesus. Jesus does not also, doesn't either, does he say, hey, 
pray for more workers so you could spiritually retire. Like we hit 60, and we're like, all right, I'm done. Somebody else can do the work around this church. I'm just going to pray and sit back and complain or, or whatever, whatever you want to do. Go to Arby's. But I, I'm not going to do any work. I, I would say this, and I know this stings. Before you pray, obey. Right? Jesus says, listen, I'm assuming that you're working this harvest. But we need more workers. And how much praying are we doing for others to join us? How much inviting are we doing to people to, to, to join us? So the, this whole passage is calling for us to be like Jesus. See like him, feel like him, walk like him, and pray like him. This is a cliche, but I think it's true. For someone in this world, you, you might be literally the only Jesus they ever see. In the 1960s, there was a group of uh, salesmen who lived in rural Indiana. And they wanted to go to the salesman convention that was in Chicago, the big city of Chicago. The only problem was the convention ended on Christmas Eve. So all four of these guys kind of made promises to their wives. Listen, we will be home in time for dinner Christmas Eve. Uh, and so they, they went to this convention. It, it was a sales convention. They learned a lot. It, it went really great. And on Christmas Eve, the, 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 the morning they were supposed to fly out, they overslept. Okay, and so they were like running through the airport uh, to try to catch this plane to be home in time for Christmas Eve dinner. Uh, while they were running, there was a young lady. Remember, this was the 60s. She, she actually had a, a, an apple cart, like selling fresh apples in the, in the, in the airport. And in their hurry, uh, they just knocked that cart over and like apples just went every, as you can imagine, they just went everywhere. And so three of the guys just, just ignored it, just kept on running. And one guy just said, hey, uh, y'all go ahead. I'll catch up with you later. And, and he turned around to help this, this, this young lady where the apples were on the floor. And he said he was glad he did because it wasn't a young lady. It was actually just a little girl and she was blind. And so when he got back to her, she was on the floor in tears, literally feeling around, trying to find these apples that were going in everywhere, and people were just walking by and stepping on them and, and just totally, you know, ignoring and disregarding her. So he got down on his knees, and he began to help her pick up these apples. He set her apple display uh, back up, and then he separated all the bruised and, and broken apples, and he said, listen, I want to pay you for these, so he gave her money. And then he said, I, I want to do more, and so he gave her even more money, more money than she would have made the entire week uh, selling apples. And he said, are, are, are you okay? And she nodded through her tears, and he continued. He said, I, I'm really sorry. I hope we didn't spoil your Christmas. And as the salesman went to walk away, the bewildered little girl cried out to him. She said, Mister. And he just paused and turned back. And she continued. She said, Are you Jesus? He did not make it home for Christmas Eve dinner that night. He had to take the red eye because he missed his flight. He got home at three in the morning. But he said all the, the entire flight home and, and the, the, the days and the weeks that followed, he couldn't get that question out of his head. Are you Jesus? He said it was, a, it was such a simple, small-scale event 
but it made him see clearly what following Christ is all about. Love one another as I have loved you. To be a Christian is to be like Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ. So my question for those of you who wear that name Christian is this. How much will you look like Jesus this week? We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.